Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 247. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Well, I can't believe uh, January is almost over and had to uh, reach out to Rich here and Rich Pawson and uh, talk to him about what's going on here. And he and I both didn't realize how late in the month it was for him to get back on here for his January uh, rundown of the economy. So, Rich, how you doing, man? Good and yourself? Hey, not too bad, buddy. There's been a uh, been a crazy week, but before we get into all that, Rich, why don't you tell folks where they can find your podcast and what that what that looks like when they when they do find it? Yes, yeah, so uh, go to criticalpointpod.com and and you'll you'll find it. It's kind of like a home site for education, free stuff. But you'll also find a page there that will take you to another site, criticalpoint.podbean.com. Um, and that is uh, where we have all the videos, and that's where you can subscribe. There's actually a, a page on the first site I gave you uh, for that as well for subscribing. And uh, the service basically uh, covers uh, the stock market, the economy, uh, the three major grains. That's our primary focus. But then we also look at interest rates. We look at uh, gold and crude oil and a few other commodities. We're working on climate all the time, specifically for crop problems that might occur during a decade, things like that. And anything else we feel like we need to plug with it. But with this service, we also give actual signals and explain how markets fluctuate during a year. And our service goes beyond the normal fundamentals news and the charts. There's 50% of a market 
or 50% of price fluctuation has nothing to do with the news and fundamentals and sometimes even the charts. And it has to do with people that have to do business no matter what, or they have to manage their money regardless of what's going on. And our modeling picks up that. I think it gives us a more complete story, better timing, and better understanding of the trends. We are trend followers, but unlike most trend followers, we're also trend timers. I'm a firm believer in timing. Uh, people will tell you they don't like it, and so they don't do it. Well, it's impossible. <laughs> as soon as you put your money on the table, you have time. So you might just as well make it. You might as well make an attempt to do it right. Okay. Yeah, so, exactly. and then if they wanna, if they wanna follow me on Twitter, uh, I'm at Rich underscore Possum, and uh, and also you can uh, ping me there, uh, DM me, uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Right on. <clears throat> Well, Rich is definitely a wealth of knowledge. Rich, Rich has uh, been on the podcast now for I don't know three or four years now, and and uh, pretty much has uh, kind of been the, my go-to guy when we start talking about the economy. So let's jump right into this, Rich. We've got a lot of factors out there right now playing on playing uh, weighing heavy anyway on the uh, on the overall uh, you know outside markets. You start looking at at, at the stock market, and those kind of things. You you see what's happening over in Russia and Ukraine and um, Putin has uh, he's not think he's bluffing anymore. There's there's nothing that he's doing right now that's saying that he's not going to go ahead and move forward with it. Um, what's taking over uh, the eastern you know, the Crimean Peninsula of of Ukraine all the way up to the Dnieper River, which basically is you know forty five percent or so of the country. Uh, when you start looking at that, um, that's got a big. Uh, factor happening out there, especially when we start looking at that part of the world and how much um, disruption can come to the wheat uh, marketplace. That's about 30% of the world's wheat comes out of there. And then you've got a large amount of natural gas that gets piped out of Russia into um, Europe, so that's a whole other thing. And then you start looking at the uh, Fed meeting uh, ends today, so their notes should be coming out uh, this afternoon, which today's date is, uh, what's the date? The 26th of January. So, uh, they've pretty much said they're going to raise rates. Everything points to that. Um, I guess where you want to start first, Rich? You want to go geopolitical? Or you want to start with with the Fed? Yeah, let's go with geopolitical and okay. let's go with Russia. Russia, uh, yes, China is still a big one, and we could still see some issues this decade uh, over Taiwan. And I wish they wouldn't do it. I don't understand these countries why they want to go back and try to add old countries. Uh, you know, to me, that's a sign of uh, you must think your country's weak and you got to add more countries to kind of strengthen it. And <laughs> but we could talk about those things later. Uh, what? What I think is going on with Putin, and I, I did research of this many years ago when I was working for some big grain commercials, and basically I always felt Putin wants to get a warm water port. And Ukraine is a big exporter, as you just yeah. mentioned, and he would just like to lock that up to make a better block in the global market, uh, and he'd like that shipping port. And But uh, Putin also, I think, looks back at the glory days of Russia when they had all their satellite countries in the Soviet. And I don't think I don't think Putin would ever go back to communism. At first, I thought a few years ago, he was just thinking, oh, this whole capitalistic run we're doing in Russia, that'll just blow up and burn out and, and they'll finally learn their lesson and we'll get back to it. But I think he's evolved where he's a firm believer. Yep, let people do business, let them be incentivized by money. Because uh, he's even made comments a, a year ago or something. Someone was making comments of the rise of socialism, and he even made a comment, well, you know, the U.S. better not go down socialism. So, um 
I, I, I think it's really he's set with how things are going, but he's just looking to still rebuild the old Russia block. Right. Okay. And yep. and, there, and there's articles even out last night saying somebody was uh, had worked for years on geopolitical issues, and they just said, you know, he'd like to get U uh, U.S. right out of Europe. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's there, but the, the, there's more to the story in a sense. When you drill down to commodities, it's it's definitely about wheat. It's definitely about some of these other commodities. He'd like that warm water uh, port. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we wind up going to battle there. And uh, I think, yes, that could rattle the markets short term. If it turned out true war and a lengthy war, most of the time, at least Wall Street thinks, well, war is probably good for the economy, even though that's a sad statement. <laughs> so, right. uh, yeah. stock market, so the stock market will go up anyways, okay, regardless of the outcome over in Europe. But the point is, yeah, we could see some short term uh, stabs lower in the stock market and stuff when that news uh, finally strikes there. Um, let's, let's, and that's about, let's, go ahead. Let's stay there real quick on, on Russia real quick on this. So if you take a look at, at you know, they have OPEC plus now and they've kind of let Russia come to the table and, and start to, you know, kind of mingle with uh, the Middle Eastern countries and Venezuela and those type of countries where, they're, where, they're, where oil is a big part of that. Obviously, oil, natural gas, those kind of uh, fossil fuel type economy is very big part of Russia right now. Oil is broke through 85 bucks and it's just taken off and running from there. Um, some of the technicals that you're looking at right now, you're seeing, you know, $88 looks like it's that new kind of threshold uh, of where it goes up and up and down past that number. Looking at oil with the Russia situation, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, I turned long-term bearish last year, and oil took me two shots, and then we got a very nice drop and made some nice money in the downside. And I forecast this recent up move, but it turned out to be stronger than I thought. And I, I think we're going to have to be touch and go on my long-term idea here. I'm, I'm kind of flipping more of let's focus on the short-term trading. I'm, I'm thinking they can support this oil perhaps right into the summer driving season. And Goldman Sachs has been, you know, way back in the 2000s, they were big cash oil traders. If they couldn't sell at the right price, they just rented out, leased all the ships they could, and they loaded it right up with oil, and then they waited to get their price. I think regulations kind of cooled those big banks off on those kind of speculation. I don't know if they do that much anymore, but they're built up on oil. They just feel like, hey, if you don't get the price high enough now and get these companies back to drilling, we're going to run into issues later. So are you going to pay a higher price now? Or are you going to pay a higher, maybe even a higher price right. later? Yeah. And so they may be right. <laughs> this oil market may stay in here uh, for the rest of this year. And, and I can even see into next year. And then I think I see three to five years of rather stagnant to, to lower oil prices. And, and I kind of see that for the entire commodities. I, I think commodities won't be doing well mid-decade. Uh, it's just normal supply demand fluctuation, normal price fluctuation. But uh, it, for years, I've said $85 oil can hurt the economy. I think things have changed. Number one, we printed so much money to kind of uh, counter that. But there's also factors of how we're dealing and working with it. And I just don't think it's the biggest impact, but uh, give me $95, I'll start to get a little concerned. Can that hurt the economy? Um, 
And, 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 and Goldman Sachs are even looking for a hundred bucks and I'm not going to rule it out uh, going in now into next year or something like that. But I think that's the cap. Okay. Uh, I realize my model on the super cycles claims that crude oil should go to a record high by the 2030s and then it's all over for decades. But uh, that run up back in the 2000s and then the development of alternative energy and the amount of oil that they did find uh, several years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I doubt we're going to see a record at high price um, going into the 2030s, I really do. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't briefly get over $100 from time to time, you know? Right. So let, let's leave the door open for that. And I'm certainly uh, certainly on Russia's side. These oil, higher oil prices are helping them. And then that emboldens them to stick with their plan here in Ukraine. Hey, they're making money. Uh, they can spend that money and they can do some various projects of what they see here. Um, so yeah, I, I think these prices are going to hang up here. I don't think it's gonna necessarily going to hurt the U.S. or global economy too much. Obviously, Europe's taking a hit just from energy all the way across the board. Yeah. And then, and but I think they'll get through that by summer. And then uh, China has actually had some issues here, paying more, and they want to. But I think that can kind of clear up for them a little down the road here. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just see where we go with it, but I fully understand. Uh, I understand the bullish scenario a little better, or I respect it a little better than what I did. <laughs> right. Yep. Okay. So um, the economy. I mean, if you look at what's going on in the economy, cotton is something I've been tracking too, and I don't, I don't know how much you follow cotton, but you know, Sean Hackett, he's on here. We talk about cotton on, on Thursdays and, and what's going on there, and. Uh, you know, cotton's up over a dollar right now. It's like a dollar twenty something. You know, it just kind of bounces back and forth from there. December um, cotton um, for twenty three opened up at a dollar the other day. Cotton's correlation to oil, obviously, there's a that's a big competitor. Um, if you look at as what's going on there and what happens with cotton uh, or what happens with oil, cotton usually follows right along with it. And you start taking a look at at the overall economy. Um, and China's buying as much of that cotton as they can get their hands on. What are your what are your just as you take a look at the at the economy as a whole as we transition into this, you know, Fed meeting notes that are coming out today and you start looking at you know, I've heard it I've watched a show yesterday on my lunch break about uh, somebody was predicting that the, the Fed was gonna raise their rate between now and and this time next year or the end of twenty three, eight times, so about basically anywhere between two and two and a half percent. What what are your thoughts with that overall overarching economy right now as we start looking at where we're at with employment and all those kind of things, you start throwing a little bit of higher inflation on the fire. Yeah. Uh, let's first uh, go to cotton and we'll jump okay. right into the, this economy stuff because I do follow cotton. Uh, not as It's a secondary market. I'm not so concerned how accurate we are with it as long as I provide mm-hmm. good information. We well, made a long-term call in cotton back in March of last year, I think March to May, something like that. And it worked very well. Everything was working beautifully into about September, October, and suddenly we saw some strength. And at first we thought it might just be a bounce before the actual new crop harvest hits the market, the supply hits the market. But instead, the cotton has remained strong. It's been resilient, even with growing, uh, uh, refilling the the warehouse, if you will. Okay, uh, and what we've learned is really the the clothing demand around the world has been incredibly strong coming out of this virus pandemic. Wall Street really nailed it. Wall Street kept saying, you know, people got money, they're going to buy those clothes. And these clothing manufacturers, 
they can they can hold out for big margins and they can also afford to pay more for cotton and it's worked very well it's been a very strong micro economic scenario for cotton and we may still see higher prices uh, uh, this year as well but we are due for what I call a minor long-term bottom sometime this year maybe it waits to late this year closer to harvest but I think there'll be some corrections and setbacks but at the same time as of today, there's no sign of uh, demand saying, I, I refuse paying these prices. you got to knock them down. Uh, nothing breaking loose there yet. Now, uh, the overall commodity sector is still rather buoyant, but we are seeing signs of cracks. We're seeing signs some of these commodities can come down this year. And I think the higher interest rates eventually can help pull them down as well. I think it's really more of a story that these higher prices are going to buy more supplies, more production of commodities. But I think between commodities and higher interest rates, we're going to pull this inflation down for the overall economy. So sure, we've seen 6.5% inflation, 7% inflation. I think it's on its way down this year to 4%. I think it can be that kind of a drop. But realize 4% still means prices are actually still going higher. They're just not going as high as fast. fast. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm for when I say down in inflation, sometimes I don't realize people might not understand what I'm thinking. And they're thinking, is he saying it's going to zero or minus? No, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, we're just going to slow it down. Uh, I think the same story in real estate. We've seen 18, 20% uh, spike in U.S. Uh, home prices last year. My guess is you're going to see 10% this year, 5% the next year. We're going to move it back by mid-decade. Real estate commodities are going to be about zero percent price change. Okay, they're they're going to back off. There'll be some minus numbers for some of these markets by mid-decade. Might get another bounce late decade because even though if we back off commodities, real estate by mid-decade, economy is still going to grow to late this decade. Uh, we're still going to see stock market moving higher, record highs by late this decade. So late decade could see another little bounce in uh, commodities, maybe real estate. But by the end of this decade, I say we'll see a normal primary once a decade recession. Everything is coming down. <laughs> Farmland prices, stock prices, commodities, everything will be down. Some far more than others. Some, some might be surprisingly resilient. We'll see when we get closer to it. But in the meantime, uh, I still see this economy growing here, but we will have throttle up, throttle down along the way. And we have an indicator that's one of my favorite indicators called the PMI that's actually due to be lower this year than last year. And it looks like it's starting to work that way. Uh, but uh, people sometimes get confused what that's telling them. They hear it's lower and they think, oh, my gosh, the economy is falling backwards. No, much like the inflation uh, rating. The, when the PMI starts coming down, it's been quite high. As long as it doesn't go below 50, the economy is still growing. It's just not growing as fast. And when you're in this phase of the economic business cycle that's going to last to late this decade, uh, PMIs can come down for quite a while, and it's almost meaningless. The economy is still growing and growing very well. But it does reflect certain businesses within the economy are slowing down. And this is what's going on in the stock market right now. A lot of money, billions of dollars is shifting very fast, quickly from one side, from some stocks to another stocks, okay? And they're, what they're doing is shifting gears. They recognize the fact some companies made a boatload of money out of that virus recession. And then they made money 
after we pulled out of that buyer's recession. But those stocks are now high priced. They're running into trouble. Amazon running into trouble. They've made some of the better easy money. Netflix, same story. There are people getting nervous about these higher price stocks. And if you look at it, a good portion of the stock market, sizable portion of the stock market, really has not done good for six or 12 months. And inside that group, there are many stocks down 20 to 50, 60%. And and yet you look at the nightly news, and the S&P 500 is like knocking out record highs all the time, you know. (laughs) And you don't realize it's really a small group of stocks that's driving those major indexes that we all use as indicators and guides, was driving that higher and Really, most of the stock market was not doing that good. Well, we're in the phase of this business cycle. It's just like a car. You're shifting gears. You're speeding up down the highway and stuff. And uh, that's what's going on. And we're, I think, I wouldn't be surprised we've resolved quite a bit of that this month uh, where things can settle out. Some of those lower price stocks are going to move higher now. Higher price stocks may move a little bit lower for a while. Eventually, they'll start to recover some too. I think the broader market gets on board with this growing economy. So I'm not saying it's going to be a great year in the stock market because, boy, last year was one fantastic year. Uh, I think next year might be better for the stock market than this year, but I think the stock market can do very well, nevertheless, and I think the economy is going to do well. And uh, I think some sectors of the economy are going to do fantastic because they really haven't. They're just nicely getting out of this virus recession now. So I got to be an optimist here. But why did the stock market collapse 10 percent in the S&P 500, about 20 percent in the uh, Nasdaq? Uh, Some of this is they started this back in November or so. They're moving out of those high price stocks to lower price. They're moving out of what's called growth stocks into value. And they've been selling their higher price stocks faster, more aggressive, almost scared that they can't get out of them fast enough. But they have not been putting all that money immediately to work on the buy side. So it creates an imbalance and weakens the entire stock market. So it's not a good quality rotation. Okay. If they sold those high price and immediately bought those low price, I wouldn't be surprised stock market would just move sideways. But instead, it's gone down. Uh, also, the stock market panicked a little bit here off of the Russia story. They panicked a little bit off the surge in interest rates. I don't think it's as important as some people think, but it did spook them. And, and we're going to be vulnerable vulnerable to that characteristic for the rest of this decade, that that if they run interest rates too fast to the upside, it's going to upset the stock market for a little while. Uh, Commodities eventually may even get nervous over that. Right today, I don't think they're quite there uh, to get nervous over these surges in interest rates, but they will over time. Um, So the key is hopefully we don't have too many of these fast surges along the way here because it's going to make people kind of miss out of some upside in the stock market. They'll panic over these sell-offs and they'll probably sell the bottom and, you know, and and they'll sell too much. It's okay to sell some if you see risk to your account, but uh, bottom line is you kind of got to stay focused on that long-term trend because uh, in recent days, some of these big banks even have put out some beautiful looking charts where they show the Fed Reserve raising their interest rates for two years straight, just bang, 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 raising them right up. And yet you look at the stock market, it was going up 30, 40, 50%. It just kept moving higher. Okay. And eventually we're going to, we're going to get locked into that kind of thing. But uh, this month they took a hit and I will say my uh, model, um, the market peaked a little earlier than I wanted. It was the first time in 10 years 
that the market peaked early. Uh, the model had been right 100% of the time for this kind of sell signal. <clears throat> uh, 100% of the time over 10 years, 22 times. This was the 23rd time, and it peaked a little sooner than we wanted. Fortunately, the model was able on the way down to give a signal saying, hey, you better jump on board to the downside. This thing is over. And so we did quite well pulling out. Uh, but I'm back to I'm back to buying. I know it's scary to buy these straight down moves. You hear people say, uh, you know, if you don't buy, you know, don't buy a falling knife. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's dropping so fast it could hurt you that right. nobody can pick the bottom. But I like what I see today's action in the stock market looks pretty good to me. Uh, we got to get this Federal Reserve meeting out of the way here. Maybe they won't like that later today. Uh, what's it come out at three a.m. Eastern, two p.m. Uh, yeah. Central? I think. You know, maybe they won't like it after. I do have a little like intraday, interweek signal coming up about the time of the Fed meeting. That means the stock market could go down a little while after. But my guess is later in the week and on into next week, we'll just see the stock market higher again. So I don't think we're going to get uh, something shockingly bearish out of the Fed. I think they're going to support the idea of, hey, we are going to raise rates this rate. I, I think a lot of people are already betting they're going to back off that they're already scared of the lower stock market. But I think the Fed's kind of sent some signals they're willing to gamble a little more than normal here, that they understand uh, stock market is likely not going to fall off a cliff and be down for years on end, and the economy then crashes and burns. I think they're pretty confident in the economy. I'm not saying they won't soften up a little bit here today, but I, I don't think they're going to send a message that now we're going to wait on the raising interest rates. So we may see the Fed raise their rates first time in March. And my guess is they're even if they delayed that today, um, I, I, I don't think they'll delay it any later than uh, May. If they did delay it today, the stock market actually might go down. I think the stock market realizes long-term rates should go higher. And they're fine with that. And they think the stock market will go higher too. What they get nervous over is whether or not the rates jump quickly short term and, right. and that make that makes them nervous here yeah. so i i'm pretty confident one no matter what the fed says today i think we got higher prices going into summer for the stock market uh in my subscriber service we we will be discussing where we could still see some weakness in the fab but that's about the latest here uh, i kind of feel like the better buy signal is probably coming in fab but my concerns are we're actually seeing the lowest price of the stock market this week so I've kind of split it up. I'm going to buy some and fab off that bottom, probably at a higher price, but I'm buying some this week just because I think the market's kind of bottoming ahead of my model. And then looking out to March to May, June, July, I think we're going to be okay. I think we'll see some decent uh, economic growth numbers. I think we're going to see decent business statistics. Uh, I think you'll see the unemployment still working down. And I think uh, so better jobs and decent wages. And I think you're going to see signs of inflation backing off and they're going to buy stocks. And uh, I'm convinced we'll see record highs by summer, if not much sooner. But uh, like I say, I can also still see maybe a little lingering weakness here in the next few weeks as well. Okay. All right. Let's talk about one other thing that I want to hit on, make sure we hit on. I want your opinion on this. When you look at what's going on with soybeans and the amount of soybean crush that's happening right now and, and how much of that's getting diverted into uh, uh, biodiesel, um, jet fuel, those kind of things that's starting to really come on, starting to see very much a uh, like an ethanol-style boom in, in that in that biodiesel space. As you take a look at what's going on with soybeans right now and you take a look you know, your long-term projection, those kind of things, how are you factoring in this biodiesel boom into that, into that soybean 
complex yeah. as a whole. <clears throat> I think it was back in 2018, 2019, I was working for Global Commercial on Exports. And, uh, and of course, they uh, ran a big soil department. And I remember having conversations with their analysts, and we compared notes. And uh, they were really gung-ho on the development of uh, biodiesel to support uh, palm oil prices and U.S. soil prices. And I was fully in agreement, even though I also was forecasting a recession to come around 2021 that would knock soil down. But what I did was um, I originally was calling for it to drop to 21 cents. And after looking at the research they were doing on that biodiesel, I said, yeah, it may only drop to 25, 24. And I think that's about what it did in the recession. And then I said, boy, once we find a bottom in that recession, yeah, the grain should have a once a decade kind of a bull run here. Well, we got it. And uh, and we got a little weather to back it up. But on that biodiesel side, I think we still got a few years yet of lingering support before maybe biodiesel becomes uh, kind of old news. But I don't think it backs away any time of, uh, I don't see enough competition from other alternative energies. I think volume-wise, supply-demand-wise, it stays there. But what I'm saying is it doesn't have to single-handedly drive prices by itself. Uh, uh, kind of like, you know, what was it, 10 years ago, ethanol, boy, if you saw higher ethanol production, you ran out and bought corn, right? right. Today, today, you get an ethanol report and corn hardly pays any attention to it. But at the same time, we're still burning a lot of corn, right, right. Uh, for ethanol. Yeah. Uh, th that's what's going to develop someday in soil. Uh, I think soil prices may have already uh, peaked for, for quite some time, but I guess I, I, I don't see any like sudden massive uh, drop here. I, 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 and they're, they're obviously going to keep an eye on the heating oil, uh, just like gasoline can be a driver on, uh, on the corn side, ethanol side, while heating oil is one to watch there as well. And then, of course, we make heating oil and gasoline from crude oil, so you also have to keep an eye on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, crude oil, by the way, and gasoline heating oil can do opposite things sometimes for as much as three months. Uh, a lot of people are unaware of that. You kind of got to watch the spreads and ratios on that. In general, though, they obviously do the same thing. It's standard economics. Yep. All right. Corn is the next thing I want to hit. get your opinion on. Um, as you take a look at what's going on in the corn complex, input costs are, are, are kind of starting to factor in a little bit. I'm interested to see what the 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 March uh, you know, predictive acreage report, what that looks like, you know, prospective acreage report, what that looks like when it comes out. Um, you know, soybean price has, I mean, both, both of them are, are really high right now as far as commodity prices go, but the input costs that go into making corn right now is, is really high. And I guess as you look at that, what's your feel right now, especially with the biodiesel thing and this big push we see now, is your is your thought process that you could see more um, soybean acres get planted over wheat or over corn, and then on the backside of that too, some of these uh, fringe states where corn is was is kind of a spectacle thing, like North and South Dakota, where you can start seeing a lot more spring wheat because you know it's up at right now. I mean, you can contract some stuff out there right now for almost you know ten bucks, you know nine fifty, those kind of things like that. So I guess as you look at corn. What's your thought on, on acreage right there? I mean, do you see some real pressure there uh, coming into this playing season? Yeah, actually, uh, I think I'm going to – I don't normally forecast uh, acreage until I see the planning interest report because I feel like uh, I don't know of anyone who does a great job at all. And I studied 15 years mm -hmm. of history of polling, and I was just shocked. It was like, sure, somebody looked uh, genius every single year, but they couldn't do it year after year. <laughs> right. It was always yeah. – it was like – Everybody taking turns. It just looks like a terrible track record. Uh, I don't work at that quite as much as I used to. My modeling does better on the production, the yield, the temperature and precipitation kind of stuff. 
Um, but I will say I'm kind of looking at 93 on the corn, 87 on beans. Uh, so I'm not looking for the cut in corn that some are. And this kind of feels like 2009 when, yeah, we got a big surge in, in fertilizer costs. It was probably record high back then. And the interesting thing is, when it, once it was planted, we learned, boy, the farmer didn't cut back as much as some people thought, at least, but they did cut back. And so I think we're kind of that kind of scenario. And what I want to warn, though, is I also seeing some climate stuff here when maybe La Nina is starting to back away. Right. Not sure yet, but I'm worried in 2009, we got that higher fertilizer cost. We got the prices all bulled up. Everybody thought it was going to the moon, especially if we ever had a crop problem. And then the next thing we learned, well, we didn't cut acres quite as much. And then we learned that it went from La Nina immediately to El Nino, which is mean normally a good crop. And we got a great crop. And then prices just crashed. I'm kind of worried of that kind of scenario this year. Don't have enough evidence in it. My model right at the moment says 80% chance of a little bit lower yield this year. Mm -hmm. But it's not saying I'm going to get the much lower yield that I want anytime now into 2024. I'm going to go with the idea we're probably not going to get the crop problem I want until next year. And maybe as late as 24. But they might. we might start pulling yield down a little bit this year. Now, last year, I said the same thing, but I flipped to the 20% probability by May. I warned of it even in March, so I did it well ahead, right on time even. Uh, so I'm glad I did it because I said, you know what, give up on the 80% lower yield. We got go with the 20% higher yield, and we got it, right? Well, I suppose the same thing could happen this year, but I must say I'm concerned of that drought monitor map showing dryness in the middle Atlantic states. Sometimes that's a clue of a problem in the Corn Belt Midwest, and we're getting some dryness in the Corn Belt Midwest right now. Now, there's plenty of time for that to all go away. But we also got the Western U.S. that's been dry for seems like years. You know, I can't recall the last time I saw a drought monitor map not showing drought and dryness in the Western half of U.S. I'm wondering, is something major change there that could last for many, many years? And are we headed towards something where that's going to spread into the Midwest Corn Belt there? Uh, so I am leaving the door open for a crop problem this year. Uh, the one I want can occur. And I don't want to bet against this dryness right now, but at the same time, I'm concerned it's going to be a year that prices came down into harvest anyways, mm -hmm. even, even with the cut in corn acres. Uh, I'm just not convinced the yield, even if it comes down this year, that'll drop that much. If it is going to drop, I'm kind of looking like 175, 173, something like that. I'm not convinced that changes the balance sheet to make a real bullish story. I think you could probably knock prices down to harvest anyways. The, on the 20% scenario, if, you know, it's kind of saying like 179, 181 yield, well, boy, uh, that'll, that'll knock us down in the harvest, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'm, you know, my model really price-wise wants to be bearish into April, May on these grain prices and then get out of the way for a weather scare. And we'll see if it turns out to be a real crop problem or not. And if it's not, we're right back to bearish right into harvest. Um, I'm not as bearish in April, May like I was six months ago, just because the ending stocks are still kind of tight here, even though you can see we're leaning towards raising them. Uh, South America turned out to be a little bit of a crap story more than I thought. Uh, and La Nina can go away now and not really help out. Brazil, it's getting kind of late enough now that some of that is permanent damage. Uh, so oh, I guess what I'm saying is, 
I'm not convinced South America is a bullish enough story to keep U.S. and the rest of the world from going lower in April, May. But I think it's a story that says you're not going to crash these prices into April, May. I think the economy hangs in there. Even though inflation backs off, it still could keep the speculator investor interested in commodities. So I think it kind of keeps us from you know hammering these markets lower. But I'm not convinced it's the it's kind of like it's still bullish, but it's getting to be an old bullish story already, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we can ease these prices back. Then we'll have to see what we get in summer. But um, I really am concerned that <laughs> we could have quite a bit lower prices by harvest. So you just got to keep that in mind, even though I am looking for a crop problem. I'm, I'm just suspicious. The one I want that could be a good bullish scenario is in 2023. Even the price only model says you ought to have higher prices in 23 uh, than 2022. And uh, and the model was very correct from 2020 into 2021 of being bullish. So I kind of got to give it a chance here, you know. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, weather will be weather. So <laughs> right. yep. you know, I still I still wonder. Maybe you can get that crap problem this year after all in the U.S. And I will say, if La Nina is here, I'm guessing I'm not good at that. Figuring out what's the deadline for La Nina, but I think people claim, hey, if it's still here at April 15th and later, you're probably going to get at least a little bit of setback and maybe even an actual crop problem. So we'll have to keep an eye on it. But there's some things going out there in the ocean suggesting it's it's starting to uh, head in a direction where La Nina could go away here. And uh, mm -hmm. that does not mean it'll go directly to an El Nino like 2009. Uh, it may only switch to neutral and, there, and then you can get a good crop, but maybe it could be a little lower yield, could be a little higher yield. You can't really tell uh, when it's uh, neutral, you know, yep. but with an El Nino, you better bet on a record yield. La Nino, maybe a big drop, but unfortunately this time around, I could see where it's only a uh, a small drop at the moment. So. Yep. Yeah, Sean Hackett's talked about that several times. Switch the switch over to the El Nino um, effect from the La Nina, and that's uh, you know he's kind of worried about the going into spring and what that looks like as far as uh, you know late freezes and snow and all those things that kind of inhibit uh, planting. So we'll see what happens. A lot, a lot of time here to to back into that. Yes. Yeah, so. Last, lastly, we want to talk about uh, gold and what that looks like. That's a big hedge of the economy and what that looks like there. Gold has been, you know, it'll go up and it'll go down, and it's been pretty steady, though, as far as where it's at and what the climb looks like right now. So as we head into this higher interest rate, you know, area, what's your, what's your anticipation for gold and how that's going to reflect on the economy? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, gold was bullish, what, during 2018 to 2020, yeah. and I, th I think it was betting on the economy was going to, even though the rest of the world was heading on into recession, they was betting the, that the Fed would keep interest rates low and the U.S. economy would be resilient compared to the rest of the world. And therefore, they also thought, well, maybe we can get some inflation out of this. And so I think the inflation buying was long before we actually got inflation. And it's kind of like now we got inflation and gold's doing nothing. And it's kind of like they're thinking, well, we already dialed it in. We paid enough for gold to, to better. It's, it's really a strange one. It should have performed better than this off of this amount of inflation here. Some people say it's because Bitcoin stole some of that uh 
inflation hedge business. Mm -hmm. And that's a possibility. But a few weeks ago, I went ahead and said, I think Bitcoin's a long-term bear market. It can drop fast and hard. Well, it did it this month. Yes, it did. The interesting thing is kind of coincided with this drop in the stock market. So, um, but yeah, they hit it hard. And I told people, I says, I'm not seeing the evidence anymore. They're using Bitcoin to hedge commodities. And I don't think they are. Uh, Or hedge inflation, I should say. And so I think that's gone away. And that might limit the upside of Bitcoin in the future here. I don't think that means that the inflation hedge is now moving back to gold. I think something is something's wrong here where people are not that scared about high inflation. They talk it in the in the media, social media, you know, middle class, poor, very upset they're paying more at the store, but they're not going out there and actually uh, buying gold or even Bitcoin now to hedge it. And the same thing, uh, we noticed this first in the professional Wall Streeters bankers. They just never seem to be bulled up on uh, gold and Bitcoin like everybody thought. Um, They just uh, were reluctant to that. And I think they feel like maybe interest rates can rise fast enough to kind of counter this inflation story so it's not as bullish uh, for gold. Now, I will say my model is saying gold may rally into the fourth quarter of this year, perhaps spill over into next year even, and then it's going to put a major long-term top in, and I think gold will uh, go lower and stay away from that record high if it goes to record high for like three to five seven years so we could be setting up for a real bear market in gold not necessarily tremendous downside but just going to be very difficult to return to whatever the record high is by that time now that's one scenario the other scenario is this major long-term top was actually put in place uh, before the pandemic uh, virus and that uh, it's only going to rally a little bit maybe this year that it's already in that bear market and the only clue I can get of which scenario is it might be safe to say gold can work higher uh, this year. It might be a struggle at times. It might be a fantastic up move. I don't know. But I will say this. If you see gold trade below last year's low and it does that this year, uh, for, for that matter, even next year, um, then I think you better assume it's in a major bear market and gold's not going to do well for several years. Uh, I just don't think it's there. Even though I say... Even though I'm I'm wanting inflation to back off a bit here, I'm not saying inflation's going back to that zero to two percent that we've had for many many years. And I think it's going to be two three percent bouncing around there for the rest of the decade. But if we also keep interest rates, if we can get these rates two three four percent. I don't think that's bullish gold for the rest of this decade either. So um, I can't, uh, I don't see the sense in owning gold for a big up move. I think uh, if you like gold, you trade in and out of the shorter term uh, swings here for for gold. I just don't trust the upside. But I must say, if the bulls are going to do it, if a big move's coming, they better get going (laughs) because they basically got about a 12 month window uh, to push that gold higher. And after that, I think it's all over for them for a while. Yep. Okay. Hey, well, good stuff as usual, Rich, man. You got a ton of information there. If uh, folks want to get back to you and ask you some questions or just see what you have going on, go back over that real quick where they can find your stuff at. Yeah, they can uh, email me at rich at ag-financialtom uh, or dot com. <laughs> they can uh, they can uh, uh, DM me or uh, on Twitter, and, and I'd appreciate a following as well. And that's at, at rich underscore possum p o s s o n. And then of course check out my website. Uh, probably it's best to go to the home site, Critical Point uh, Pod dot com. 
and then they'll find links to the other site for all the videos. And I, I do put out some free stuff, but uh, try the subscription. It's a, the, basically the billing cycle is two weeks late. So if you cancel before two weeks are up, get yourself a free subscription. Right, huh? <laughs> and, and I find 99% of the people that will give me a try, they stay. Yeah. Uh, that's all there is to it. Yep. <laughs> no, good stuff out there. Make sure you guys go out and follow Rich. He's got a, a lot of good information out there, a lot of stuff that pops up. Um, he, he's been very accurate over the years, and, you know, check out check out what Rich has got going on. So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com for all the latest information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, there'll be uh, some good speakers there lined up. Also, um, on the website, you can find all blog posts as well as all of the um, information uh, about the Moving Iron podcast itself. So, Rich, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thank you. Okay, and I am Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.